Good morning. Welcome to Providence Road. My name is Jeremy, one of the pastors here, and glad that you made it here on a <clears throat> daylight savings weekend and spring break. Those of you who, you guys just love Norman so much that you did not want to leave, and that makes me really happy. Makes me really happy that you love our city that much. Uh, one quick thing, if you are a guest with us, uh, I just want to make sure that you uh, know that back in this back corner is our Connect Corner. And so if you have any questions, if you want to um, ask somebody what's going on at the church, want to know more about the church, um, you can ask somebody who will be back there uh, before and after the services. Um, also, there are laying around, there are some uh, brochures, um, you know, these cards that we call Connect Cards, Welcome Cards, if you want more information about the church and uh, want to get on our weekly newsletter, you can fill that out, name and email at least. And if you have stuff you want us to pray for, you can put that on there as well. You can tear off the bottom portion of that and place it in the basket on the counter back there in the Connect Corner. That is where um, you can put those things if you would like. We're going to continue on um, in our series on the book of Romans. I want to read, um, we'll start at the beginning of chapter 6. Read chap, uh, verses 1 through 14, and then we'll pray. Paul says this in Romans. What then shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we might too walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, <coughs> we shall sure, certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old, old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died to sin has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to, to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness." For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Let's pray. <coughs> Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this time. We can come together and um, look at it and think about it and dwell upon it and um, really um, ask the question, how um, should this, this, this word of yours change our lives this week? How can it change our minds? How can it change our hearts? How can it change... Um, um, how, we, how we act towards one another and, and our posture towards the world and all of those things, Lord. I pray that in this time, um, your spirit would, would um, minister to us and your spirit would work in us and we would be changed as a result of your word this morning. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. <coughs> so this week we are continuing on in our series going through um, the book of Romans and um, there, you know, ser sermons have different uh, feels to them. Some sermons are more celebratory as we're looking at certain passages. Some are more um, heavy theologically. Some are more reflective and, 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 and draws us into contemplation. Um, this sermon today is all about fighting. 
It's about war. It's about battle. It's about um, really taking seriously um, what Paul is going to talk about today. So that's the tone that I think this passage takes, okay? And so um, really it's, it's going to, this passage is going to tell us that we are in a, all in a fight. We're in a battle. Whether you're a follower of Jesus in here or not, we are all in a battle. And this sermon, um, in some ways, is a continuation from last week's sermon. That's why I, we read the same passage we read last week. There's a connection here. So I want to jump back and look briefly at what Paul is talking about at the end of chapter 5. Because in, in verse 1 of chapter 6, he asks this question. And he's really base, basing that question upon what he talked about at the end of chapter 5. So the last two verses of chapter 5 are these, or this. Verse 20, now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Paul knows when he lays out this idea, he's, he's expecting a response. He, he's, he knows it will provoke a question in the minds of his readers and his audience. And so he lays out this question in verse 1. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And here's the context where that's coming out of. In in chapters 1 through 5, Paul has laid out um, the the greatest teaching in the Bible on the the human condition, on the biblical gospel, and this within the biblical gospel, this idea of justification. This idea that um, how could humanity, how could humans be made um, right and, and be brought back into a relationship with the holy and righteous God? How can humans be just in God's sight? This is where we get this idea of justification. How are we justified? And Paul's laid that out, chapters one through five. So the logic here behind this question that he's anticipating is, okay, if, if we get this grace, if we get this amazing thing called grace and, and, and we want that, and if grace increases as sin increases, then why don't we just continue in sin? Because if, 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 if continuing on in sin is going to allow us to have more grace, then we want that, right, Paul? Is that, is that what we should do? If we've been saved through Christ's life, death, and resurrection, have been brought into a relationship with God, and nothing can change that, nothing can take us away, take us out of the Father's hand, if that's true, then why don't we just continue on living the life that we lived before we became followers of Jesus. If, if, that's, if this is true, Paul, what you say in chapter 5, why shouldn't we do that? So that's the, that's the uh, logical response, I think, that Paul is anticipating by asking that question in verse 1. He gives a very quick answer to this in verse 2 ex- with an exclamation, by no means, by no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Then 2 Corinthians 5.17 Um, Another writing of Paul here, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Okay, so again, he's he's talking about this idea that we're new creations. The old is gone. The new has come. We're dead to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And really, the big idea here is that if you are a Christian, you are no longer under the power of sin. You're free from the power of sin. Doesn't mean you're sinless. Doesn't mean you won't struggle with sin. Just means that sin no longer has control over you. It no longer has dominion over you. Your life won't be characterized by sin. 
Sin has lost its power over you. You are under a different power now, and that is the power of grace through the Holy Spirit. So the, la- the question we looked at last week primarily was how does this grace that Paul has talked about, has been talking about, how does this grace affect us now in the present as we live this life in the present and into the future? What does this grace have to do with how we live our lives now? In the next several verses, Paul really says that grace has everything to do with how we live our lives now and moving into the future. And he shows us by talking about two things, baptism and union in verses three through 10. So in verses three through 10, he talks about baptism, this idea of being united with Christ or union with Christ. In verse three, Paul says, we were baptized. And that word literally means immersed. We were immersed into Christ and immersed into his death. And in verse four, he makes the case, if we were, if we were immersed or baptized into his death, um, then, then we will be raised with him as he is raised in order to walk this new life out, in order to be the new creations that we are, that we are already. This is, this is why we're called to, to walk in newness of life in verse four. And then in verse five, he talks about this idea of union with Christ. It's laid out for us here in verse five. For if we have been united with him in death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. There are over a hundred places in the New Testament where prepositions are used or brought together to get at this idea of union with Christ. That's how important it is, okay? Um, all throughout the scriptures, you see this idea coming up. And although you don't ever, very often you see these, these words union with Christ actually come up. It comes up here in this verse, but you don't see these words often put together in the scriptures, this idea of union with Christ. So the idea is all throughout the scriptures. And it's one of the most important ideas and, and really doctrines that we can understand in our faith. One of the most important. Um, it's, like, it's like putting on a new set of glasses. Once you understand and become aware and, and dwell on this fact that we are united with Christ if we have faith and we're Christians, it changes everything. But it's almost like putting on new glasses. We have to understand it and we have to start to see life through this lens. And some of you may think this idea of, of union with another person is strange, is odd, especially if you're not a follower of Jesus. Um, <clears throat> but I think that we all live this idea of union out in a certain way in our lives. We all get this idea of union. And here's what I mean. I think we all as humans have this instinct to associate ourselves or to connect ourselves, to unite ourselves to something or someone outside of ourselves, to find value or worth or significance, validation. This could be a, a, an athlete. This could be a, a sports team. So when this athlete or sports team does well, we're excited, we're happy, we're joyful. We have, we're, we're uplifted. This athlete or sports team does not do well. We are maybe depressed, unhappy. We don't have a good day. And the reason for that is we've united ourselves to this athlete's success, this team's success, and our our lives a bit of a roller coaster, potentially watching this athlete or team. This could be a, an actor or actress. It could be a musician. When you go to a concert, when they release a new album, when they win an award, you feel good. There's something inside of you that happens, although you had nothing to do with that. Because you've united yourself to that person, you feel something when something happens to them, good or bad. This could be a movie or TV show that you watch could be a potential cause 
or a political party you're affiliated with. Um, we, we, we have this instinct, I think we all get this, this instinct as human beings to unite ourselves um, or to affiliate ourselves with something or someone outside of ourselves. It's, that's, that's not a bad instinct. That instinct is hardwired into us by God. The problem is, is when we attach ourselves and unite ourselves to things um, that aren't God, but we make them little gods and expect them to deliver what only God can deliver, we, we're, we're let down. Eventually, we're let down or, we're, or we live this roller coaster of a life and we could become codependent on these false saviors. Okay, we expect them to be God and want them to be God, but they cannot deliver. And Romans 6 lays out this idea that Jesus is the only one who is capable of delivering as God and will truly give us lasting freedom and joy if, we unite, if we're united to him and we attach ourselves to him. And so it's important to understand this idea of union and how union with Christ, and, and as Paul's laying this out, because we're united to the, the perfect man and the perfect God in one who lived a perfect life that we could not have lived and died a death that we all deserve to die and was raised on the third day and by being raised, conquered sin, Satan, and death. That is the person that we are united to if we are followers of Jesus. And that is a really, really good thing that we need to think about and remember. So if you are a Christian Jesus lives in you, and you are in him, this is that idea of union, right now at this moment. This is you. This is our lives. We have victory over sin, at least over the power of sin. We're dead to sin and alive to God. And verse 10 tells us that, that as he is now alive to God, Jesus, and because we've died to him and have been raised to him, now we are alive to God. This is how we live our lives. This is how we approach our lives. And verse 11 <coughs> mentions this. It's, he says, Paul says, so because of all of that, so you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So he asks us to do something there. Consider to, or count or meditate upon these ideas, these truths. Okay, so before we go any further, this is what Paul wants us to know and, and, and to hear. Consider these things. Know these things. Remember these things. Tim Keller uses the idea of a, of a trust fund here, and I really like it. It's like if a trust fund was put in your name and you were old enough to take funds out of it, it's in your name, legally that money is yours. It's sitting there for you. And, and that's, that's a really, really good thing. But for your life to change financially, you have to access it. You have, you have to, to get the money. The money sitting in this trust fund is not going to necessarily change your life moving forward. Okay. Similar thing. We have this thing called union with Christ that's happened. It's legally done. We've been brought back into a relationship with God. But sometimes because we're not aware of our union, we don't um, access the benefits that we have in our ongoing lives to God. So I really like that example there. I think that's helpful for us to understand this idea that it's, it is available to us, but we have to access it in a, in a certain kind of way. So verse 11 is connected to 2 through 10. He's, he's wanting us to consider these things that, that, I've just, that he has just talked about, that I've just talked about, Paul would say. And verse 12 now is connected to verse 11 in the sense that he's going to explain now what we should be thinking about or how we should consider um, being dead to sin and alive to God. And notice when we read these verses, these next three verses, 
the, the words like reign and obey and dominion and instruments, these are strong, king, kingly oriented words, dominion oriented words, governance, ruling words. Okay, so Paul even shifts his language here in these three verses. Let's look at 12 and 13 to begin with. <coughs> Verse 12, sorry. Verse 12 says, Let's, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Verse 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. This is a helpful illustration that I've, that I've thought about this week a little bit. And when, you, when we hear this, do not let sin reign. Okay, that, that word reign that's a huge word, and I think that's an important word as we move through this passage. It, it, um, imagine your heart, the battle for your heart here, because that's really what we're talking about. It, it's like a city. It's like a city, and this city at one time was ruled by an evil ruler, an evil ruler. He subjected um, the, the people under him. Um, he, he, he led with a heavy hand. He was mean. He was evil. And he cared about no one but himself and maybe the few people surrounding him in his, in his top leadership. Okay, and, and, and the people there were oppressed in a, in a big way. He had complete control and governance of this city. And then one day this new king comes into the city with his powerful army and overthrows the evil king. Overthrows him, wiped the leadership out, <coughs> they scattered outside of the city um, before the, the, the good king could come in and, and, and execute justice, they, they, they scattered. They, they jumped the walls and left the city. The new king comes in, sets up his government, sets up his power, and then the, the people, the same people who were under the old king before begin to flourish. They begin to thrive. This is a benevolent king. This is a loving king. The king is sacrificial and wants the good of the city and good of the people rather than the good of himself and people are thriving. However, every once in a while, the evil king will rally his band of, of rebels together and try to go back and overtake the city. So every time the, the, the big doors are open, they try to get into the city. They try to use spies and, and win over people in the city to their cause. And there are skirmishes, there are battles, there are occasions where um, in, in one particular season, the rebels may gain a victory, but the rebels can never take back power. The rebels can never have back the governance of the city because this king is powerful, the good king is powerful, and he is strong. And this is like our hearts, okay? Our hearts are now under the power and dominion of Jesus if we are followers of Jesus, okay? We are under him. We are under grace, not under law, the scriptures tell us. But occasionally sin and Satan, those enemies will come in and try to take back what is theirs. And this is this idea that we're not ever completely in peace and rid of sin in this lifetime. There will always be a battle and a fight and we are aware of the walls. We're aware of there is an enemy outside the gates looking to come back in and take over the city. So we must be aware all the time. And I think this is a helpful illustration to think about as we move into this passage. Paul uses battleground imagery here because he wants us to see that this is a fight. And we'll see that even more in chapter seven as we get into kind of the mind of Paul and the heart of Paul. And he really um, lets us have a peek at this battle going on inside of him. But that is the next chapter. So in, in verse 12 again, let's look at this word called <coughs> passions. 
It says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to, to make you obey its passions. The its there refers to mortal body. So our mortal bodies have these passions. And our mortal bodies just mean us, our faculties, our minds, our hearts, our hands, our feet. Okay, anything having to do with us or, or uh, is encompassed by that idea of mortal bodies. Okay, and so here's what happens. Sin reigns over us through our body. Sin uses our body to try to reign over us. So in this fight, we must understand um, that we focus on sin and focus the fight on our desires, our, our, our thoughts, the things deep, deep inside of us, our passions of our mortal bodies, which is what Paul is saying here. Now, these passions or desires aren't necessarily bad. It's important to realize these aren't necessarily bad, but sin uses these desires and, t- and turns these desires and the objects that these desires become, that these desires are towards become ultimate. Okay, sin can cause these desires to have reign over us and we become controlled by the desires that we have. And sin uses those things and turns them against us. And this is a bit of an echo from Romans 1 when he talks about how we've rebelled and turned our backs on God. And in disobedience, we worship the created thing rather than worshiping the creator. And our desires can lead us to worshiping things that aren't God and don't deserve our worship. Here's some examples of this to help us get our minds around this. Let's take the desire uh, for hunger, for food specifically, okay? Hunger is a really good thing given to us by God. It's a desire that's hardwired into us, the hunger for food. And we can worship God through our hunger. When, When God gives us food, gives us sustenance to be able to survive and it tastes good, we can praise God and thank him. Thank you for giving me this food. Thank you for, for reminding me of how, how such a good God you are by giving me this food. But hunger can also be used um, in a negative way or, or to, to be presented as members of unrighteousness, like this, like this passage says. So it can be used uh, for gluttony, overeating, anorexia, Bulimia, these are all desires that come out of a hunger that's distorted. Okay, so that's a good example of hunger is not a bad thing, but the enemy can distort it for something unrighteous. You have, um, take sex, for example, okay? Sex can, in the proper context, sex is a wonderful, beautiful thing between a man and a woman in the context of marriage. It can be enjoyed and God has given us that gift. Sex is not a bad thing. We shouldn't be afraid to talk about it. Now, sex can be distorted. It's a strong desire. It can be distorted. You can lust on a computer screen, adultery, um, sex trafficking. All these things come as a desire has become out of whack. Sin, Satan has taken that desire and is using it against us and against God. Take rest and sleep. Genesis 2, God says rest. Here's the Sabbath. One day out of every seven, you should rest and, 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 and exhale and just enjoy being a human being, but rest can also lead into laziness and gluttony. And this can be a m- many different things. Our tongues, James says in the, in the Bible, the book of James says, our tongues are a dangerous weapon. Our tongues can bring, our mouths, our words can bring amazing encouragement. Our tongues can lead large groups of people to do amazing, amazing things for God's kingdom, but our tongues can also be used out of the same mouth, can be used to destroy and, and crush people and lead people to despair, to, to even potentially end their lives. That's how powerful the tongue is, our mouths. Money, 
Okay, money can be used for things that honor God, and money can be used for things that um, dishonor God. It can be selfish. Again, money is not a bad thing, though. None of these things are bad in and of themselves, but sin and Satan can turn those things against us and against God and become, can become instruments for unrighteousness, as verse 13 says, even in my own life and in, in my marriage. Like, I, I take great responsibility, and I think it's a privilege that God has given me as a husband to, to be the provider and, and protector of, of my family. And I think that's a, a good quality to have. And I'm glad God has kind of instilled that in me. However, God can take that desire and can, can use it that for, for me to be defensive, me to defend that role when, when we, my wife and I fight or to have more control and more power than I really deserve in our marriage or to overreact in conflict or to, to use a harsh tone towards Nicole. That's a desire that I have, but when sin, Satan my, uses my selfishness to get in the way, it can be used against our marriage and for tools of unrighteousness. So the bottom line here, sin wants to take, take anything else in the world besides God, and he wants our desires to go to that thing and be controlled by that thing rather than being controlled by God. This is how sin reigns over us. It's not always just this good and bad. Avoid bad and do good, okay? Sometimes it's that simple, but oftentimes it's understanding we have these desires as humans, and they can be used for good or can be used for evil or for unrighteousness. Um, this idea of members here, they refer to the whole person, his or, his or her total capacity there in verse 13. You see this idea of members, and this, this word present it's a term outside of the scriptures that is most used in military contexts, like presenting yourself to an authority, uh, uh, kind of su submitting yourselves to someone and being able to be used by them. Um, instruments is usually used in the, it can also be um, translated weapons. Um, again, ideas like power, war, fight are the things Paul wants us to feel here. He's using words that elicit this response of just fighting for freedom and joy and against sin. Sin is fighting for the throne of our soul. This is the battle that we all find ourselves in. It's using our desires to betray us. And it's taking our faculties, our minds, and our hearts and our desires and wants to turn them into members for unrighteousness rather than members for righteousness. So on a daily basis, we need to choose to place ourselves under Jesus our master, our Lord, and our king. Like that trust fund example I mentioned earlier, we, we can access this. We can also choose not to access this. So every day we must choose to remember who we are now. And so I think in verse 14, again, Paul wants us to go back. And really, he goes back to review the main point of this, these 14 verses here. Look at verse 14. And this is huge for us. So this is like, this is the victory banner we have over us, okay? We are in a fight but the, the outcome has already been decided. Verse 14, for sin will have no dominion over you. That's a promise. That's not a maybe if, or if you do this, it's period. For sin will have no dominion over you. And then it's since you are not under law, but under grace. Okay, that's huge. He ends it with this intentionally. I think he wants us to know, yes, we're in a fight, but we have one who has already fought the battle for us. Okay? We should take comfort in that. The desires are where the battle is fought and we must uh, be aware what we are presenting ourselves to, to God or using those things to present ourselves to 
unrighteousness. However, that's not main, Paul's main point in this passage. In verse 2, verse 11, and verse 14, he says this in the same idea in different ways. When you're reading your scriptures and you go home and read a passage, the things that the writer repeats are the things he wants you to know. It's clear Paul wants us to know that we are dead to sin and alive to God through the person and work of Jesus, period. That is done and finished. Now it's just, okay, now go be that person. Go be that new creation. So the question really is a, is a who this morning. Who, who reigns over you? Who is your Lord? Who is your king? And for those of us who are Christians, we know that. We know the answer to that, and we could take comfort in that. And then we can move forward in the battle knowing who we are fighting for and who has fought for us already. Now, two quick things to close, just practical things, and, and, and you call these strategies for fighting this, because I think we, we need to, to get practical here because Paul has laid out this, this, this idea of fighting, okay? First off, that word consider. I mentioned it last week. I think it's important for us to, to, to hear again. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. And we do this, and this comes about by dwelling and thinking about our union with him. We're united with him. We're, we've attached ourselves to him. He's attached ourselves to us. Okay, so as we remember our union with Christ, we'll remember who we are. We're children of a loving God. We're dead to sin and alive to God, and God wants to have victory um, over sin through us. So first, consider yourselves dead to sin. Second, um, choose to fight for freedom and joy in Jesus. Okay, know that you're in a battle. Choose to fight daily for that freedom and joy in Jesus rather than using your desires and presenting them um, as members of unrighteousness, that, 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 that letting our desires be focused and fixated on things that promise everlasting joy but fail to deliver, those false gods and false saviors that our, our desires that God has given us, we, we, we will always be pulled in that direction. We must fight daily to focus on finding freedom and joy in Jesus and not those things. We do this by presenting ourselves to God rather than presenting ourselves to things that will be used for unrighteousness sake. So we can present ourselves to God as ones that can be used to, be cha to change the world that we live in. Um, let's pray and then we'll enter into a time of communion. Father, I, I thank you for your word again. I thank you for these passages that come along where, where you exhort us to fight and you give us these commands like do not um, present your members um, for, for, for things of unrighteousness but present yourselves to God to be used for righteousness sake and, and, and the, there's these clear pathways that you give us in your word we don't have to wonder what we do now as followers of Jesus but you give us that in your word and I, I, I pray that um, we become aware of our union and we're aware that your spirit is always working inside of us to, to help us in the fight, to cause us to desire you over the things of the world that we so easily attach ourselves to. I pray that we would be a people that use the things that have been given to us like, like hunger and, and money and our gifts and our skills and our resources. We use those things for your good instead of use those for our selfish gain. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Like I mentioned, I think the most important thing here for us to consider is um, 
who we're united with now. I don't want us to leave with a, what must I do now? Okay, that's a good thing to think about, but I want us primarily to leave here remembering who we serve and who our king is now. And Pastor Ray Orland has this really, I think, um, cool illustration of this. And I'm just gonna read this. The words are gonna be on your screen, this quote. And I want us to, this to kind of frame our communion time that we're about to move into. Pastor Ray Orland says this. Here's the deal. Jesus gives himself wholeheartedly to you and you give yourself wholeheartedly back to him. That is Christianity. How could it be otherwise? The Bible says it's like marriage, Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. There are two kinds of husbands a woman wouldn't want to be married to. One husband says to his wife every morning, here are the rules and regulations for today. Take off every box and give me a full report when I get home tonight. I want to see if your performance measures up. That isn't grace. Another husband says to his wife every morning, have a nice day with all your boyfriends. I sure hope you're here when I get home. Need a credit card? Is there anything else I can do? Because I really need you to like me. That isn't grace either. Christ gives all his very life blood and he expects all because wholeheartedly mutual giving is grace making us alive to God. We receive the passionate grace of Christ and we return back to him our passionate gratitude. This morning, the Lord Jesus Christ is calling you and me to present, your, to present ourselves to him in full surrender, even as he has given himself in full grace to us. And so right now, as we take communion together, we have an opportunity to make our declaration to Christ. So here's, here's what communion is to remind ourselves. And this is why we do this every, every Sunday here. This is a way we consider ourselves being dead to sin and alive to God. This is a way we consider what has happened um, in us and through us and what Jesus has done. You have things like here to look at. You have this bread that, that, that Jesus tore initially in front of his disciples and said, this body represents my death. You have that tearing idea that symbolized what was gonna be done to him. You have this cup. So this, 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 this cup represents the blood that would be shed for you. And even the way the, the grapes were, were made into wine, they were crushed. They were crushed to be made wine. So even the, even the idea of this, this, this liquid forming here were as, is as a result of grapes getting crushed. My communion is such a wonderful thing. And when you, we come forward together, we do this as a family. We have to actually get up and go do something. And then we use our smell as we smell the bread. We use our taste as we taste the bread and the juice. So all of our faculties are involved here. We're presenting our members to God in this moment. And so it's, it's why we do it every Sunday here. We want us to take, to stop and remember God's grace and remember who we are in him. So if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus during this time, I want you to, to one, consider who you are now. And two, maybe do some reflection on, um, on, on those desires. Are those desires being shaped by him? Are those desires being shaped by something else other than him? When it's time for you to come forward, I want you to come forward knowing the body's been broken for you and his blood's been shed for you and it's covered past, present, and future sins. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, this is a great time for you to respond to 
God's grace as well. Okay, if, if, if maybe you've never thought about that, that as human beings we're separated from a holy and righteous God and the only way to be back, brought back into relationship with him is through faith and belief and trust in who Jesus is and what he has done. So if that's you and, and you want to make a profession of faith and say, yes, I believe this for the first time, you can come forward and take communion as well. But if you do that and this is your first time, tell someone. Tell someone that, that, that I took communion for the first time today and, and God has done something in my life today. Tell somebody that. Tell me that. But if you're here and, and you're not a Christian and you're still pondering and thinking about some of these things, that's okay. We want you to have space to do that. And I'd love to have a conversation with you if that is you here today. But if that describes you, then just kind of stay where you are. This is, this is something for Christians, something who, for, for people who have faith and trust in Jesus. So take a few minutes and think about what we've talked about. And our stations, there are going to be two stations today, both up, both up front. So come forward whenever you're ready.